I titled the uh, message for today, Life is Fragile, Handle with Prayer. And you'll see as the sermon unfolds how this plays out. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have made. Thank you for your steadfast love, for your mercies, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that even as we gather here today, you know what we have need of, and you, you delivered, you rescued, you healed our sister. We thank you, Lord, that nothing escapes your eye, that you care so deeply for each and every one of your sheep. And Lord, I pray today that as I share what you've given me, that you would touch every heart, that you would encourage every heart, that you would strengthen every heart, that you would fortify every heart, that you would transform every heart because you hold our lot, because you are the God of our salvation, because we can't even think anything of ourselves, our sufficiency is of you. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts, we give you our minds, and we say, have your way in us because your words are eternal life to us. And to whom else can we go? So open our eyes and open our ears to hear and behold wondrous things from your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the text for today that I'm, where I'm going to start is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So as I, I read that, <clears throat> how many times have we not read this or are familiar with this? The Lord spoke to me and said, who's talking here? And I told him, well, you are. He said, yeah, but who am I? And this is what he told me. I am the author and the finisher of your faith. So when I say that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, pray and not lose heart, the author and the finisher of our faith is making the distinct connection between prayer and not losing heart. That should encourage you that should grip you. That should cause you to give pause and say, wow. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you don't remember anything else about the message today, that statement, let it not escape your sight today. Pray over it. Speak it to yourself. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Not give up. Not cash it in. Not quit. Why? Because the author, not just the author, but the finisher of our faith. I have never known God to start something and quit halfway. Have you? No. 
As a matter of fact, Paul makes the boast, he who began a good work in each one of us will be what? Faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is an eternal truth that is settled in the heavens forever. This is being, the second thing he shared with me, this is going on the offense. This is being offensively minded. I like to play chess. And one of the things is, while I hate to admit that I lose some games of chess, but one of the things that I can honestly tell you about the game of chess If you play defense or you are put on the defense, you will not, you will not win the game. It's going on the offense. So one of the the things is that when the enemy attacks, you go on the offense. You counterattack. Somewhere it's been said the best defense is a Good offense. Exactly. So in prayer, it's being offensively minded. And so, going forward from here, I want to share a quote with you. Well, actually, before I do that, so... The other thing is I was reading this passage about men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why did he say that? Well, yes, he wants us to be offensively minded. But today I want to speak to something that every one of us at some point in time or maybe right now we do struggle with. And that is this. And this is not meant to be a heavy, but it is something that we, each one of us, wrestles with, myself included. But this, meant, this word today is not meant to be a discouragement, but an encouragement. So when God says, men ought always to pray and not lose heart, why did he say that? Because we do lose heart. What? How can you say that? This is Church. You shouldn't talk like that. But if we're honest with ourselves and with God, who sees everything in our heart, who knows the words before they're even on our lips, who knows us better than we even think we know ourselves, we do lose heart at times. We do feel overwhelmed. And it's at this point that I want to go from this opening verse in Luke 18 to a man in the Old Testament who puts his robes on the same way that we do. A man similarly minded, if you will, in the Old Testament. So in case you don't know who I'm talking about, I'll tell you, it's Elijah.
So before I delve into this story of Elijah here, what I want to share, I want to read to you a quote here from a book by Pete Greig called God on Mute. Andrew Murray, a 19th century South African writer, said that the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. When we are scared and hurting, when life feels chaotic and out of control, it is more important than ever to anchor ourselves in the absolute and eternal truth that we are dearly loved and deeply held by the most powerful being in the universe. Let this be the great non-negotiable in our lives, the platform for all our other thoughts and the plumb line for our prayers. He's right. I think of what Tom had shared the other week about remembering, before we pray, remembering who it is that we're praying to. Remembering who God, God is. Remembering his character. So in this story now, pertaining to Elijah, we're going to start, we're going to look into chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And while this is a long story, there's just some choice verses in there that I want to single out and highlight to you. So I, you know this is going to go well when you see this opening intro here. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Wow, what a way to show respect. You just know that it's going to be a great conversation. Can't you just feel the love? Actually. And he answered, I have not troubled, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So there is going to be a huge gathering. You're going to have 850 prophets all together. And you're going to have all of Israel gathered. And then Elijah gives them instructions. And uh, he, he tells Israel, he says, look, how long are you going to limp along between two opinions? The God who answers by fire is the God we are going to follow. So Elijah lays it on the line, tells them, you go first. And you know in the story what happens. They cry out, they cut themselves. It's kind of gory if you read it and look. Uh, and Elijah even uh, ridicules and mocks them and says, oh, he's in the bathroom, he can't come. You know, he, he just gives them a hard way to go and razzes them and says, well, where is he? He just really lays, lays into them and tells them. And then 
In verse uh, 36, it says, At the time of the offering of oblation, so the God of Baal does not answer. In verse 36, At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then after that, the other prophets, are, the false prophets are gathered up and they're, they're killed. And then going on from there, Elijah tells, I should back up and say, before this chapter, the Lord instructs Elijah to tell Ahab, hey, I'm going to send rain again. And so that was, that was earlier. Elijah hasn't forgot. So now Elijah tells Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of, rushing, of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up on top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And what does Elijah do? He tells him, Go back again. But that's not the end of it. He tells him, Go back seven times. So Elijah knew what the Lord said was going to happen. His servant says, I don't see anything. Go up again. Go up again, seven times. Sometimes when we pray, I feel like I've ordered a package from Amazon. Have you ever done this? And it says, uh, track your package. And, and you can go and say, oh, oh, it's here at this location. And it's due to arrive this date. Oh, great. So, Here's where we are in the process and this is when the answer is going to come. So we try to, we want to try and have it figured out, you know, kind of like a timeline. But that's not the way it works with faith. But the truth of the matter is, is that Elijah knew what God had told him. And he didn't move from that. Go up. And finally on the seventh time, he says, oh, I see a small fist rising up out of the ocean. And then a little bit later, in verse 46, it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. So now um, Ahab's going back with his horse and chariot back to town. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So when I read that verse, just stop and think about it. If the hand of the Lord is upon him, it sounds to me like Elijah's running pretty fast here. Sorry, Steve. But that's what that sounds like to me. But the significant thing is the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. That's a pretty powerful statement. 
The hand of the Lord is on each one of us. The moment we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, the moment we receive what he did for us at the cross, his hand is upon us. Not only upon us, but he holds our lot. Now, I would have expected at this point in time, as we go into chapter 19, there's going to be a turn of events here. So in the opening verses, we read here in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now I would have thought after what just happened at Mount Carmel and seeing God answer the way that he did with the fire and sending the rain even when it took seven times that the rain came, I would have expected here a response similar uh, that of standing firm and just kind of putting Jezebel in her place and saying, no, look, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna, you've got this wrong. The fate that your prophets suffered, you're going to suffer. Something to that effect. But I would not have expected Elijah to back down, given what we just saw. But what happens? Elijah hears those words and he hightails it in full fear to the wilderness. He's driven by this fear because of what this person, Jezebel, spoke into his life and it sends him running. And then when he gets there, he offers another prayer. And that is, Lord, take me home. Lord, I'm toast. Lord, I'm giving up. I'm just like my father's. It is enough. Take away my life. What a turn of events. In the blink of an eye. I know it wasn't the blink of an eye, but when you, when you think about, wow, there's this testimony, this is, wow. You could, we could think about how, what the Lord does for us and then another, but then and see the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness, and then all of a sudden, what? And now he's in the wilderness. And this is the prayer that's on his lips. And what happens next? really, I believe, speaks to the love of God and the care that he has for Elijah, but also that he has for us. First of all, you know how Elijah prays, and he was great to follow God's leading, and then he prays this, but that's not an option with God. I'm not going to take you home. 
So in verse 5 of chapter 19, he says, And he lay down and slept under a broom. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Now I would have thought, again, if there's an angel and the angels baked a cake, I would have thought, wow, okay. I would not have laid down again and go to sleep. But that really, I think, says something about Elijah's just done. About where he's at emotionally. About what's going on in his heart. But the angel does not let him sleep. And speaks to him again, arise and eat. So he does. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So the thing that I really want to highlight here now, given where Elijah is and what he's done in terms of being honest and pouring out his heart to God, God makes him a cake. Wow, what a cake. That is some cake. I think it was almost as good as uh, Karen Martin's pumpkin cake that we had yesterday at the pop list, but I digress. Um, That is some cake that he is able to go on the strength of that cake for 40 days and 40 nights. Because the journey is too great. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a petition where we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. And while that could be physical bread, I want to speak to the fact of God's provision for the day. On any given day, we don't know what the day will bring. But in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, and this is how he said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so I want to make the connection between not just physical bread, but also spiritual bread. The fact that he went on that bread What ingredients? So when God gives you that daily bread, and it may come in the the form of a scripture, it may come in a vision, it may come in a promise, it may come in a dream, it may come in a song. God is very creative. But when he gives you his daily bread, it is going to sustain you. It is going to carry you. It is going to uphold you. Now, this wasn't the final destination. It wasn't like, okay, the package arrived. Here we are. That's it. But what this did, it sustained him for that step, for that moment, to bring him to the next place. Second Corinthians 4.16 talks about, though the outward man perishes, 
I may be old on the outside and getting older, and while it pains me to say that, what I can say is that in the inward man, I'm being renewed daily. That in the inward man, there is, there is strength. Not because it's of me, but it's because of the Lord renewing me. It's because of the Lord giving daily bread. It's because of the Lord's sustenance, the Lord's promises, the Lord's provision. And so when you get that bread and you eat it, chew it up, chew it up good, meditate on it, think on it. That's what that word meditate means. There used to be an old coffee commercial, commercial that said, good to the last drop. Well, I want to submit to you. When you get food like that, whatever that promise is, and however it comes, good to the last bite, eat it and let it minister to you. Let it transform you. Let it blow into your sails, so to speak, and encourage you to take the next step to go forward. You see, we play to win. We only lose if we quit. And the circumstances may say one thing, but God has the final say. That's why I so love about this, this worship song that I heard just recently. It may look, I'm surrounded. It may look that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's the truth. And so here, it just makes me think of, of what, what God takes this cake and bakes this cake for Eli, Elijah. It makes me think of what we looked at not too long ago, the new covenant that God has established with us, that he's bound himself to us. He wasn't content, like I said once before, to drag us along the finish line to the, get to the other side. He ministered to Elijah. He gave him cake and he gave him water. And he told him, the journey is too great. You need this. And Elijah responded to that. Now you know that later on he goes to the cave and he hears God speaking to him and he says, what are you doing here? But it's at the cave then that God finishes what he started and he said, look, he said, there's more than just you involved in this, this fight. Uh, there are others who have not bent the knee to Baal. And what I need for you to do is to go and anoint this king. And then he lays out what, he, what he's going to do with Elijah. And then Elijah follows the Lord's leading and does what he was commanded to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, and talking about this cake and, and daily bread, it made me think of a passage from Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled, and this is God talking to the children of Israel when they're in the, in the wilderness, before they're going into the promised land. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, I love that phrase, that he might make you know, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Too many times, it's easy for me to want to shape God the way that I want him to. But I like that phrase, make me to know, because he is God and I am not. So, in this place of not losing heart and, and prayer, there were some keys that I felt like the Lord gave me. But these keys have to do with in, intentionally posturing and setting our mind to go on the offense, to go on the offense, if you will. And so when God gives us that cake for the moment, and we take that cake and we eat it, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verses 13 and 14, the word, it, this is after it talks about putting on the whole armor. It talks about being able to stand. And it mentions, it uses the word stand three times and the word withstand once. So four times that word stand. I think it's pretty significant that in that short period, that word is used four times. That means to, to hold your ground, to not move off of that position. So when you know what God has given you for that moment, to be able to take that next step, to, to do that next step, don't allow the circumstances, the pain, Whatever that is, time ticking off the clock. When you don't see the answer, don't let that move you away from what God has told you, from that daily bread he's given you. I can tell you from my own experience at work that a while back, we the company was going in, a, in a, a big tailspin. And it was really disheartening to see. And I, I went into the, uh, there's an ethics officer there, and I went into that place, and uh, I did what I was supposed to do, and it was a pretty big step, because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to call into question the, comp the competency of some of the big, the big wheels of the company. 
And after I did that, after I took that step, nothing happened. And that was probably, there were months that went by. There was a long time that went by. But the, the, the key thing that came out of that, as I prayed about that situation, God just told me one thing, and that was this. Speak to the mountain. That's all he told me. Speak to the mountain. So I did. And as time went by, days went by, weeks went by. So what, what did I do? God, this is what you told me. I will not move from this. I am standing on this. I will not be moved. And there's different opportunities when I had, when I'm doing work with my hands that my mind could pray. And then there was a suddenly. There was a suddenly. And it, it, again, it didn't happen right away, but things were set in motion. And then some more time went off the clock, but there were some things that happened. Outside forces, good forces, entered in and they wanted to they wanted to correct the problem they wanted to give them the opportunity to correct the problem and they wouldn't and um, I was able to be a part of the solution and finally there came the day when uh, the uh, big dogs were there and they just fired them all the vice president of the company, the director of manufacturing, and the human resources person, all on the same day. I'll never forget that. But going back to that word that the Lord gave me, whatever the Lord gives you, and you know what? Besides that word, he can add to it and give you more. Oh, here, have a second helping. He knows what we need on any given day. And then at the end of that familiar set of verses about the armor, it's significant that in that chapter about suiting up with the armor, after, after he talks about the sword of the Spirit taking up the sword, which is the word of God. In verse 18, he says, praying at all, <clears throat> excuse me, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Praying at all times in the Spirit. That's a nice big long sentence there. The sword of the Spirit and then praying. Praying in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. So when we eat, we, we don't let up. We don't let up with what God has given us. 
There have been times, again, when, when God has, for my daily bread, he'd, he'd give me a worship song. And the song would not go away. And so I would, I would sing the song back to God. And so this is, this is another key. Worship and prayer. And in the Psalms, you see those two mesh together. And one of the things you see in the Psalms is not all the Psalms are happy clappy. Some of them are laments. One of them that comes to my mind right off the top of my, ba- off the top of my head that is a prayer is from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the depths of my heart, I cry out unto thee. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And what I've noticed is that when I start to sing, when I start to worship the Lord, and this isn't the end all, it's not the only thing, but in some ways this is a testimony, this is a key. But it's not a one size fits all. But when we worship I found what happens is that I get my eyes off of me. I get my eyes off of what's before me or what's plaguing me or what's troubling me or what's trying to take me down. And I'm on a different field of play. Now the circumstances may not change at that moment, but my heart is in a different place. It's in the presence of the Lord, on the eyes of the one who is with me in the midst of the fire, the one who is with me when the floods are trying to take me out. And he himself says in that Isaiah 43, I am with you in the water. I am with you in the fire. They will not take you out. They will not overwhelm you. And the other thing is that when when I worship, It works to the goal of putting, of quieting my heart before the Lord. When I've got all this racket going on in my life that's trying to get my attention and not want to let it go, and it's making all this noise in the way of fear or worry or doubt or how am I going to get through this or what's tomorrow going to look like or I'm totally spent. It quiets my heart. Say, God, what do you want to say to me? And not let the noise do its thing to distract or, or take me captive. A very powerful set of verses here in Jude 20 verses Jude 20 and 21 but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the holy spirit keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith 
praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping yourselves, guarding your heart, keeping yourselves in the love of God. What a powerful series of words and, and a tremendous promise there. A good practical how-to, if you will. Building yourselves up. Well, how do we do that? You know, as we journey through, as we gather here on Sundays, as we hear different messages, even <clears throat> new worship songs or whatever, there are things that God tells us helps us to remember, to, to, to take forward in our, in our life that help shape you and help encourage you and help transform you. So a while back, and I say a while back because it has been that, but there was a quote that Steve Fry made. We belt ourselves with truth. We belt ourselves with truth. When we fortify ourselves with scripture about God's character, So, Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David purposes to set the Lord before him. And because of who he is, that is the Lord. David makes the statement, I will not be shaken. I was talking about worship and prayer. There's times when I think about Al Hyatt, some of the worship songs that he used to play. And one of them that has stuck with me through the years from Psalm 25, he'd strum that guitar and he would sing, Unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul, O my God? I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. And I'll tell you what, sometimes when, when you sing a worship song, it, it, it sometimes, I don't know how this works, it becomes prophetic. It's exactly what you need for that moment. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, it sustains. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about for just a moment the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 when we don't know how to pray as we should. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I so love that. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He knows what to pray. 
And I'm so grateful for that prayer language that when I'm at, when I'm at that place, <clears throat> I will use that prayer language, that, that, that spiritual hotline, if you will, and speak to God. And I'm not going to let my mind try and figure out what's going on. It doesn't need to. Now, sometimes God gives understanding. But the idea being here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And again, our eyes get off of our weakness and our focus becomes our, with a capital O, our strength, the Lord. Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And just another tremendous promise, if you will, that when we do this, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So one last, uh, one last thing here I want to put out before you, and that's this. Get spiritual backup. You can never go wrong getting spiritual backup to have people pray with you. I'm reminded of the, the Hebrides revival and the two ladies. And God, in that story, if you read it in the book uh, Dirty Glory, by Pete Krieg. These two old ladies, one of them half blind and the other crippled by arthritis, God, God gave them a vision. One time. They never saw it again. One time. But they latched on to that. <clears throat> and that's the word, latched on. They did not let go of what God showed them, what God gave them. So what did they do? They went to the elders of the church. And the elders said, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, pray! I can just imagine an 80-year-old like these kids, pray! <laughs> no, pray as best they could. Pray! And so they did. And, what, and the answer then came through the elders months later, but the answer came through the, the spiritual backup. You can read the story. The man shares from Psalm 24 about who will ascend the hill of the Lord. And he said, you know, we've been doing this for months. And he spoke to the thing of getting his heart right. Or are we just, or are we just going through the motions? He let out a loud groan after he made these statements about Psalm 24, fell to the ground. And guess what? God showed up and people came. And you can read the story for yourself. But... The fact of the matter is that, that God honored that spiritual backup through those elders and it took some time, but they did not stop. They met together and they prayed through it and into it till the breakthrough came. So I leave you with these words. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Faithful God, as we sang this morning, you hold our life secure. All our days are yours. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one who sticks closer than a brother. And Lord, you know every day what we have need of. You're a good, good father and you give us daily bread. The bread you give us sustains us, not only physically, but the bread you give us also sustains us spiritually. It transforms us. It makes us more to be partakers of your divine nature. So Lord, take us forward. I thank you that you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. And lead us, lead us forward in your plans. Lead us forward, each one of us, in your purposes. Lead us forward, Lord, to know you more, to know your heart. You are the strength of our heart. Many times our heart and flesh may fail. But you, oh God, you are the strength of our heart. And you are our portion forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even today, Lord, blow into our sails. Refresh us. And be the glory and the lifter of our heads. In Jesus' name, amen.